The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Good evening and uh, welcome to this uh, live streaming or broadcast from Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And this is the Monday night guided meditation from the Buddhist Society of Victoria. And uh, just to introduce myself, if you haven't recognized my voice, this is Ajahn Nisarano, and I'm the senior monk here at uh, Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And uh, I have been a Buddhist monk for 24 years and for 40. And I ordained with Ajahn Brahm in Perth. And uh, for 14 years, almost 14 years, I lived in Sri Lanka and for about eight of those years in a cave. But now I am based in Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And uh, just to mention, if you have uh, any questions you'd like to ask, please put them in the YouTube live chat. And of course, as usual, um, the format for this evening will be an introduction followed by the guided meditation. And uh, then there will be a bell and then questions comments and complaints if there are any <laughs> all right and uh, so that will be the format for this evening so just to introduce this evening to, and also to mention that uh, next monday night in case i forget it at the end next monday night ajahn brahm will actually be giving the guided meditation uh, um, from newbury buddhist monastery will be online um, it may even be with a video. And he'll also be giving, of course, the talk on the Sunday, the day before. He'll be giving the Sunday program, Dhamma program, um, on Sunday the 20th of February too. So please check the BSV website for this and other teachings. He's going to give a few other teachings and two in-person teachings as well. So please check the uh, website if you're interested. That's the Buddhist Society of Victoria website. So I'd like to ask everybody, what is today? And uh, if you said Monday, you'd be right. <laughs> but it's also uh, Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day, 14th of February. Um, so it's a, it's a prompted me to reflect on uh, the relate on, on meta and romantic love, and uh, are they related or not? Because of course, St Valentine's Day is uh, like a celebration, isn't it, of romantic love? So just to give a bit of background uh, to um, St Valentine's Day. Of course, it's named after a Christian saint, but evidently there were three of them with the same name, but it's probably the one who was St. Valentine of Rome. And it's a, a Christian festival, um, which is still celebrated uh, in the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, and a few others, Lutheran and the Orthodox Church. But I think it became much more famous through later folk tradition, they say, where it became a significant cultural, religious, and, and commercial celebration, and of course, of romantic, uh, of romance and romantic love. And it's uh, in many parts of the world, it's observed. And of course, because of the internet, it's probably going even further afield all around the world. So it's a celebration of love and affection. 
And usually this takes the form of, um, apart from these church services, <laughs> which uh, I don't know how many people would attend, um, it all takes the form of sending greeting cards and gifts and probably now e-cards, I would think, on the internet. Also dating, sending chocolate, giving chocolates or sending them. And of course, sometimes anonymously. And uh, that make, reminds me of when I was young, I sometimes sent St. Valentine's cards, just for fun, really. And they were always anonymous, not for romance, just for fun. And of course, this is, uh, these days, I think it may be called stalking if you did such things. So I'd just like to talk a little bit about the different types of love, you know, that we can, uh, uh, we see in the world. And of course, there is love with conditions. You know, there's these conditions, it's conditional, it depends on certain things being fulfilled. And of course, Ayakima, she often brought this up when she discussed metta. And she distinguished different types, uh, three different types of uh, love, romantic love, family love. And uh, of course, when you think of the family love, you wonder about, well, the Buddha's image of metta, a mother's love. But I think it's a mother's love that is universal. It's like the dedication a mother or a father has to their child, but it's for all, all beings, all children, everyone in the world is one's child in that sense. Not just one, not just the children one has at home. And of course, the third type was the love of a cause or an ideal. And of course, this is based on views uh, uh, which drive many people, have passion for their for their views and for their causes, whether it be the environment or political. But of course, there are other types of, of love too that we can see. And of course, you could call it brotherly or sisterly love. It's basically, you know, the, the love that is between friends. And sometimes that's very strong, that's very strong. And um, in the Greek, they call it philia, definitely Greek. And um, there's also, <laughs> they distinguish self-love, but this is in very negative sense from uh, being associated with narcissists. So we talk about uh, um, these sorts of people usually self-centered or self-absorbed. Sometimes we say egocentric, and uh, they often hear the term narcissists. But just to talk about, because this evening, a little bit about romantic or sexual love, because the romances are always connected with um, isn't it, with a physical attraction or a sexual attraction to a person. And in Greek mythology, they call it Eros, but the Romans, they called it Cupid. And of course, many people will recognize this uh, name, Cupid, because they, these are the, uh, the Greek and Roman gods of love and sex. And uh, of course, uh, it's, uh, that's, this is, very big part of St. Valentine's Day. And of course, many views about, uh, of course, about everything really, about romantic or sexual love. But it's a very, uh, very common view that we see that romantic love is something that gives our lives meaning and, and gives importance to life. And for some, it's seen as like a really a, a full, uh, an ultimate fulfillment of their lives. And I think some of this 
owes uh, something to Socrates, who in this symposium, uh, he, he suggested that we were all seeking completion. We we're all trying to find our other half. And then when the two halves come together, that's, that's the sense of completion, the whole. So it, I think in a sense that could be part of the underpinning for romantic love. Uh, and of course, romantic love is celebrated in so many love songs, poetry, novels, movies. I often think our culture is drenched with it, perhaps all cultures. And uh, uh, I, I know from living in Sri Lanka for uh, almost 14 years, I heard many love songs in the bus, buses when I travelled from one place to the other. And the word in similar is adore. They were always talking about adore, adore, just like they do in the West, everywhere it seems. And uh, uh, I, I also uh, came across in Sri Lanka this idea of arranged marriages. And because uh, I would see, um, and it's quite a common thing in Sri Lanka, I see the uh, four marriage notices, that's my take on it, in the newspapers. And uh, how would I see the newspapers? Often the alms food that I would receive in the village would be wrapped in newspaper. And I'd see these, uh, uh, these advertisements by men and women looking for a bride or a groom. And uh, I thought this must be, you know, originally I thought this must be really not so good and uh, as marriage is based on love, but I'm not so sure now as some, some of these marriages, arranged marriages, very happy and uh, some, some or many actually marriages based on love can actually be disastrous when people fall out of love. So where does the notion of romantic love come from? Is a romantic love just a fairy tale or is it real life? According to the Buddha, of course, that comes from our perceptions, thoughts and views. And this is a teaching that he, he gave, which is so important, of course, of the distortions of perception, the sanya vipalasana, based on what we want. We want permanence, something lasting. We want happiness. We want beauty or attractiveness, sort of a sense of perfection and we want validation for ourselves. So much of love is really this projection, you know, in, in uh, uh, Pali, they would call it the subanimata. It's like a mental sign um, that sees things as very attractive uh, and sees everything about that uh, person or thing as very attractive um, or perhaps even perfect. And uh, from a psychological point of view, it's this projection or image which makes us feel uh, this sort of romantic love because we see the other person as being perfect, just what we've been looking for. And it, of course, this, uh, because it's based on projection, can lead to very unrealistic expectations and disappointments. So, for example, when someone falls in love, they'll have the view they, uh, from that view that this person is, is really lovable. They will perceive that person as even more lovable. 
and they will think about them even more. The thinking like strengthens this view, but it also reinforces the perception that they are, this person is adorable. <laughs> and, we, and of course, with that, we want this relation, the relationship to be permanent. And usually these romantic relationships aren't they are framed in terms of lasting forever. And uh, they will have permanent happiness that is unchanging, unwavering which completely satisfies and fulfills one completely. And uh, uh, also because it's based on physical or sexual attraction, very often it's looking for the beautiful or seeing the beautiful and the attractive. And uh, also that sense of uh, connection with another person really validates who we are and, and that search for approval and affirmation, of course, when people fall out of love, the opposite process happens. Imagine Brahm has some very, very funny story called The Pig of an Ex. I think it was in Opening the Door of Your Heart. And that's what happens when romantic love uh, turns to the opposite. Uh, it's another place where romantic love is coming from, of course, for all of us. I know it for myself. And I'm sure it's for everyone, actually. It's coming from a lot of conditioning or brainwashing, isn't it? We have so many songs. We have so many movies, so many books, and uh, all about love and uh, happy ever after. You see some of these movies, especially the, the, the uh, sort of love comedy type style movies, it's always happy ever after at the end of it. And, of course, we all realise, well, life's not quite like that. There is the next morning and things, life continues. And so, and of course, people like these fairy tales very much. But I, I do know, you know, um, there's sometimes there's some very cynical comments. I remember from uh, my youth, one song by Linda Ronstadt, in which there was the line, did you think forever would last the whole night? So that's quite cynical. And also you see in some of these songs, I, I sort of really uh, could see it with songs that there's often a victim mentality. And I always remember Dusty Springfield, you don't have to say you love me just because of that. <laughs> so we can also look, that's, uh, you know, how, where um, romantic love comes from. But what effects and results does it have? Basically, for at least a period of time, we're probably not having a relationship with a real person. It's a, more of a projection. And a psychologists say this um, period can last for up to two years. But after that, really, one either is, uh, either the relationship will break up or one will develop a connection uh, with that real person, a real relationship. And of course, these um, romantic love involves a lot of self and it involves a lot of conditions that you have to love or limits and they have to love that person forever. You have to be uh, there for them always. And many, many conditions and maybe even look in a particular way. And uh, of course, this it is also expecting something in return. It's a, a romantic love is... Uh, got a, a dynamic of wanting to get something from the other person. And when it's thwarted, of course, we see that it can lead to violence. Uh, 
um, and even suicide. So how does the Buddha regard um, affection and sexual desire? And of course, he talks about it in uh, one sutta uh, called Born from Those Who Are Dear. And in that, the, uh, the Queen Malika, the, the Queen of King Pasenati, tells the king that the, the, the Buddha has mentioned that uh, those that are dear to us are the source of sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. And of course, he doesn't believe it. He thinks, well, you're just, uh, you know, you're just uh, blinded by your faith in the Buddha. But then, of course, she points out to him that if his daughter were to uh, suffer some alteration, were to get sick, um, uh, were perhaps to die, how would he feel? And of course, he says he would be, he'd feel very uh, sad, he'd feel very upset, there would be a lot of grief. And so he sees, he understands what the Buddha was mentioning. And also another verse in the Dhammapada says it very well. And it, it covers uh, some of the things that are implied in that sutta. Affection gives rise to grief. Affection gives rise to fear. For someone released from affection, there is no grief. And from where would come fear? So this is showing, you know, because when we have any attachment, isn't it? We will have this fear of losing and the fear of it changing into something that, uh, uh, something different from what we had. And of course, you know, this uh, um, uh, sexual desire, uh, this affection and everything is, is really the desire which is the main taproot of samsara. It's part of uh, desire, the, the, the uh, loba taproot, essential desire. And uh, it's also part of craving our desire, our wanting to experience things through our senses and just to be the karma mawa, they call it. So there is, of course, the opposite of that, love without conditions. And in Greek, this, they have it even in the, in the West because in Greek it's called agape, and uh, it's an unconditional love, this highest form. And usually in that tradition it's love of God for man or man's love for God. But what did the Buddha recommend? He recommended metta. And it was quite interesting, just yesterday I saw a short video by Thich Nhat Hanh on this very subject. Someone asked him, asked him, Buddhism celebrates the love of nature. Why doesn't it celebrate romantic love and affection between people? And Thich Nhat Hanh gave a gentle, a very gentle reply that if romantic love qualified as true love, it was fine. And what was true love? It's really metta, loving kindness or friendliness, karuna, compassion, mudita, joy for other success or joy for their good qualities, and upeka, this sense of equanimity or balance or acceptance. And also it's important to see, you know, even though um, uh, relationships may begin as a romances, and they often do, they often morph or change into something more like meta, more like a giving rather than trying to get, more concerned with the well-being of the other person. So really, it, it can be um, a gradual 
transformation. And if a relationship is really going to work, of course, it will change uh, from that romantic phase into something more deep, more connected, more concerned with the well-being of each other. So this is really where meta comes in. And this evening, I will focus on meta which is, has been called, I used to call it the supreme emotion, one of the four supreme emotions, the others being compassion, joy for, with others, and also equanimity. And it's that friendliness, friendliness, kindness, warmth, goodwill. You often hear loving kindness, but I think that's a bit too much for many people. So it's this unconditional quality of friendliness and kindness not just to those that we like, but and it's also not expecting anything in return. So it's giving, it's not getting. Um, and it's uh, without attachments, without conditions. So uh, it, we don't have to be perfect. The other person doesn't have to be perfect and have to be lovable, beautiful, handsome, witty, whatever, all those things. And it also means, and this is quite an important thing with meta actually, if we develop meta for ourselves, if we develop meta for ourselves, we are filled with this sort, this love. So we, if we have this love inside ourselves, we're not so desperate to find someone who will love us. You know, a Mister Miss uh, Miss Wright or a Mister Wright, um, someone who will approve of us and will appreciate us. So in a, a very we're fulfilling our own emotional needs, actually. We're not so needy searching for somebody else to do that for us. And how can uh, how do we develop mental friendliness? I think most of you know that anyone can do it. It's a natural quality. It's a seed of, of uh, kindness or friendliness in everybody. We just have to grow it, make it a habit, and make it part of our character. And we develop meta, of course, through our actions, our speech, and our minds. But of course, meta meditation is, is, is designed, isn't it, for our minds? But it reconditions the mind so that that will affect how we, where we're coming from when we act and speak. And it's so important in everyday life. And I just like to emphasize that meta is a feeling or an emotion. Sometimes uh, people miss that, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, a feeling of friendliness, of kindness, acceptance, goodwill, all those things, you know, safety and security. And, of course, we need that friendliness for ourselves because if we don't have it, we can't give it to others. Accepting ourselves as we are, realising our shortcomings can change but being kind to ourselves and being on good terms with ourselves, it's so important, especially in a time of COVID. And I know when I lived in a cave for eight years in Sri Lanka, it was very important to be on good terms with myself. I didn't feel lonely uh, at all. But now, of course, after I've left in um, 2018, now I'm a bit past living on a cave, in a cave on the side of a mountain. And as I mentioned, there are the ways of developing meta, of course, through the words, and that's a very familiar way. People often use this, may you be happy and well and free from difficulties and other words like that. The important thing with words are 
that we have to change them because they lose their power to bring up the feeling and they are only signposts for the feeling. And we can use images. Iokima was very creative, like the sun in our hearts, filling us with warmth and friendliness, banishing darkness. Or we can use uh, visualizations of pets, animals. Uh, quite a, can be really quite creative. And we can use concepts like a best friend or a mother's love or a father's love for her only child and see ourselves as one's child, but see others as one's child too. And so there's, and uh, there are many other ones. We can use gratitude to bring up loving kindness. And also and part of that probably is too, a spiritual friend that can bring up this feeling of loving kindness. This evening, I'll use a concept and I'll reflect on the qualities of, we'll reflect on the qualities of a best friend to arouse that feeling of friendliness. Firstly, um, feeling out, filling ourselves with that warm emotion, uh, spreading it through our bodies and minds, which brings healing, relaxation, joy, contentment, and acceptance. And then we can give this kindness, this friendliness, warmth to the breath, breathing in and out, to, to give it more steadiness, to give, uh, to bring in more stillness of the mind or one-pointedness. And then towards the end of meditation, we can radiate it to those near to us. Um, and then we can uh, gradually radiate it to ever in ever-widening circles to cover the whole world and all possible realms of existence. So that's the, of course, um, Metta is a very good medicine for all the negative states of mind. It's very, very helpful and for hindrances that block the meditation. And it can be used at all stages of meditation when we're doing metta to the body, metta to the present moment, this metta kindness to the friendliness, to the breath or whatever other object we're using. So we need, really we need to develop metta, friendliness, kindness, 24-7. And I'll just end this with saying a saying I like from Gaur Gopal Das, uh, an Indian um, Hindu monk. If we want to be loved, we may not be. But if we want to give love, who can stop us? And it's so true. And we feel full with this love. Who can stop us? So now we can start the guided meditation so i'd like to encourage you to find a good spot to sit if you're not already sitting and uh, to make yourself comfortable whether it be sitting on a chair sitting on a cushion on a mat on the floor however it is and we can come into the present moment letting go of the past and the future and we can close our eyes so we can get in contact with the body seeing how the body is feeling at this moment do we need to make any adjustments to the body does the head feel comfortably balanced over the shoulders and the shoulders, do they feel comfortably balanced over the hips? 
setting up the body for the meditation. Now we can mentally relax or soothe or mentally massage our bodies starting from the top of the head and going to the uh, to our foot feet. We can start with the top of the head, all around the top of the head, soothing it with kind, warm, relaxing attention. And moving our attention to the forehead and soothing it, giving it this warmth, this mental massage. Allowing, allowing any wrinkles to smooth out. Now moving to the eyes, the cheeks, around the mouth and the chin, giving them this warmth relaxing attention. Now moving to the neck, all around the neck, and soothing that with this mental massage. Making it comfortable, easing any pain or strain in the neck. Now bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving along the right shoulder with this warm, soothing, relaxing attention, letting go of the burdens of the day, letting go of any tension or strain. Now we can bring to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention all around to include the, um, the hand, the wrist, the fingers, the elbow, giving it this warm, relaxing attention.
Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck, moving our attention along the left shoulder, soothing it. Letting go, releasing any tension, any strain. Letting go of the burdens of the day. Now bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm, moving the attention all around the left arm to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers, soothing them, relaxing them with warmth and kindness. Now bringing to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back. Relaxing, soothing, giving the back a mental massage. Now bringing to mind the front of the body and moving our attention slowly down the front of the body to relax the chest, diaphragm, stomach and abdomen. With this warm, relaxing, soothing attention, easing any discomfort, any pressure, pain, tension in the front of the body. Thank you.
And now bringing to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention all around the right leg, including the knee, the ankle, the foot and toes. Soothing them, relaxing them. Now we can bring to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention slowly down the left leg, all around it, to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes. Soothing, relaxing, mentally massaging the left leg. Now we can become aware of the whole body, just sitting comfortably, relaxed, alert, here in the present moment. And we can bring to mind our intention for this meditation, our intention to be a best friend to ourselves, to our minds and bodies, and to others in our lives, as well as people we don't know, animals, insects, all beings. And the intention, we can have the intention to embrace whatever we experience, whether it's what we like or we don't like, whether it's pleasant or un unpleasant, not rejecting anything, just allowing and accepting. 
And in order to do this, we can bring to mind the qualities of a best friend, of say, friendliness, that they are fun to be with, with safe, we feel relaxed with them, enjoy being with them, warm, that they're kind, accepting. Any of these qualities, that they're understanding, they don't judge us, and we're on the same wavelength. Bringing out these uh, qualities of best friend and getting in touch with the feelings, feelings this can bring up. Feelings that are usually of warmth, expansiveness, openness, uh, or feelings of well-being. Just pondering the qualities of a best friend and noticing if a feeling arises from reflecting on those qualities. And if this feeling of a best friend has come up for you, please fill your body and mind with it. The feeling of being a best friend, being there for ourselves, feeling completely at ease with ourselves because we're with our best friend. Now we can give this feeling of being a best friend to our breath, breathing in this friendliness, breathing in this kindness or care or warmth, and then breathing out this friendliness or care or kindness to the world. Breathing in metta and breathing out metta to the world.
And if this feeling of being a best friend uh, reduces, we can recall the qualities of the best friend and that can bring up the feelings again.
And now, as we're coming close to the end of the meditation, we can come back to ourselves, bringing this feeling of being a best friend. And we can share that feeling with everybody listening to this broadcast. radiating this feeling of being a best friend, their best friend. Now we can share this feeling of being a best friend with those that are near to where we are. This feeling of warmth, acceptance, closeness, acceptance. And we can radiate this feeling in ever-widening circles around ourselves, sharing it with human beings, with animals, with insects, with all beings, in widening circles to include all beings everywhere on this earth. And to also include all beings in all realms of existence. And we can have the aspiration or intention, may I develop this feeling of being a best friend to myself and to everyone else as much as possible. And may my speech and actions come from this feeling of being a best friend.
And now we can anchor the feeling of being a best friend in our hearts. The feeling of being a best friend to ourselves and to others. Now we can reflect for a few moments. How do we feel now? Were we able to get in touch with the feeling of being a best friend? And do we feel more friendly, kind, safe and relaxed or not? And what caused these feelings to arise? And now I'll ring the bell three times. And on the third time, if you'd like to come out of meditation, you're welcome to. If you wish to continue, you're welcome to do that. For those who'd like to come out of meditation, please you can relax, open your eyes, relax the body, moving it to make it comfortable. And hopefully, uh, the meditation itself makes the difference between romantic love and meta quite obvious. But as I say, um, romantic love does not preclude us from developing meta in our relationship for, for our relationships to change. And I should also say that the Buddha, you know, he realized not all, all Buddhists would be all those interested in Buddhism would be celibate, like monks and nuns, will not, will refrain from sexual activity. He realized that. And so we have the five precepts, of course, um, uh, under, give the undertaking that we will not uh, undertake sexual misconduct. So it didn't prohibit sexual relationships. 
That would be very, <laughs> very um, uh, pragmatic to to think that everybody could refrain. Um, so this is this is important to remember that uh, the Buddha was a realist. Was a realist. People, when they're ready, they develop their relationship and develop qualities uh, in themselves and may uh, become celibate or let go of sexual relationships as uh, they as, as things develop. Just to mention that. So, Ignacio, I wondered if there are any questions this evening. Uh, thank you, Ajahn. So we do have just one question at the moment. Oh, good. So, namaste, Ajahn. Mm -hmm. Have you ever meditated under the Bodhi tree? If oh, so, right. I would like to know your experience. Thank you. Oh, right, right. Yes, yes, I have meditated under the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya, or Buddha Gaya, as they call it in Sri Lanka. And uh, I went there with uh, Ajahn Brahm and a whole group of um, uh, his disciples from Western Australia, and we spent the whole night there. And really, I mean, I found it a very powerful experience, you know, and uh, we were in mosquito nets right next to the um, Bodhi tree. And uh, it was really, really, uh, I thought the evening would be long, <laughs> but it was a really nice evening, actually, and a very, very good feeling. Um, which you probably would expect, you know, being around the Sri Mahabodhi um, uh, compound and next to the Bodhi tree. Of course, that uh, uh, shrine, the Sri Mahabodhi shrine temple and the Bodhi tree are very busy places. But at night, um, for all night sits, you can uh, set up um, these little mosquito nets and uh, meditate. And it was a lovely experience. It really was very, very. Uh, and this is one of the things that I found with, uh, and Ajahn Brahm emphasized really, wherever we went to the holy sites, the Buddhist sites in India, we would meditate. And to be honest, when you meditate, you really feel like you, uh, you often feel like you get into contact with the energy of the place. Um, in a much more, a much deeper way than if you're just looking, you know, or taking photographs or whatever. So it's a, it's an important way to get still and really get in contact with what, you know, the energy of that place. Um, and uh, sometimes that can be really supportive for the meditation. And of course, you know, that increases the, um, the indria of faith or confidence when you go to the holy sites and i know for me you know uh, we often say in in, uh, in english anyway seeing is believing and it does it has quite an effect on lifting our confidence in uh, the buddha the dhamma and the sangha and we can sort of taste a little bit of the atmosphere the energy um, of those places and uh, so this has been my experience of uh, meditating at the uh, Sri Mahabodhi tree uh, in uh, Bodh Gaya. Uh, so it's a, it was a very, very positive experience. And of course, 
we, I think many Buddhists will remember that uh, when Venerable Ananda asked the Buddha, you know, if uh, Venerable Sir Bhante, if you're not in the monastery here at the Jetavana, um, uh, who, what can people pay respects to, uh, veneration to? And, and the, the Buddha said, you know, to the Bodhi tree. And so then they planted what became known as the Ananda Bodhi tree at Samiti in the Jetavana. So it's it's got a whole level of um, meaning for for us, as I say, and it can bring up that confidence, that uh, faith, which can increase the um, the degree, the intensity of our meditation, and also our gratefulness to the Buddha for teaching, for discovering the path, rediscovering really, isn't it, the path to awakening, a path that brings peace, happiness and well-being and freedom from all the suffering, the unsatisfactoriness in life, heading towards Nibbana. So I hope uh, that uh, addressed that question. It was a very good experience uh, of meditating under the Bodhi tree. Of course, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like uh, got enlightened or awakened, but nevertheless, I felt a certain energy of the place and, uh, and, and certainly that um, intensified my faith or confidence. So thank you very much for that question. And uh, is that the last question, Ignacio? Um, thank you, Arjun. So it is the last question, but the person that posted the first question just uh, mm. replied that um, for mm. them some tears rolled down continuously and they were wondering why that may be. Oh, all right. That's a wonderful experience. And, and you know, um, that, that usually, uh, you know, tears can be for a number of reasons, can't they? But in that situation, they uh, can be tears of uh, joy. This is a, uh, an experience that people do have uh, uh, of strong, when there's a strong emotion come up. And this is a very wholesome emotion. And um, tears, it's like, um, you know, recognition in, in some way, at a very deep level of the, this place, of uh, the significance of this place. And also, you know, those sort of tears, as I mentioned, they can be like uh, the joy of um, the fact that there was a, a fully awakened Buddha in the world who's given us this teaching. And also we don't know for each of us our connection to various places like the, uh, uh, the Sri Mahabodhi Temple and the Sri Mahabodhi Tree because we may have been there in the past life too. And often when we have very intense reactions to places or people, I, I do think myself, I don't have no proof of it, that this could be a connection with the past, with the past experience, a past life experience, where we've been there before, where we've met that person before, where we've had a connection, as it were. And so I could well imagine that these tears of joy are a recognition of this at a very deep level, not at a 
conscious level because sometimes we can these things can occur and we think my goodness where is this coming from you know uh, and maybe very unexpected but as i say you know this can be coming from deep within the mind you know from our past experiences and it's a very positive um, um, emotion because of course we call this uh, one of the um what do you say forms of uh joy or piety and this piety is that comes in many different shapes and forms you know like uh, can be tingling it can be great waves of energy through the body and so on but it is can be a precursor we can use it for meditation um, because then that can calm down and become this uh, tranquility this calming of the body and the mind and this as it were letting go really of the body um, and then this happiness can come up sukha of of letting go of the body of going with the mind going within the mind and the mind can come together based on this happiness which has been generated from gladness generated from joy and then from the tranquility and then into this happiness where the mind just will come together as it were you know glued by that happiness and then from that you know once one comes out of the meditation great happiness great bliss <laughs> and perhaps even the jhanas at that stage the the meditative absorptions and uh, after those states after the meditation then the mind can have that power that clarity and that depth to see things as, as they truly are rather than how we think they are or how we want them to be uh, that sort of thing so it's really uh, these are powerful states of mind that give rise to powerful insights so this piety these tears that you experience very likely that's a, a, a very good sign that the mind is, has got this joy and uh, that joy is fuel isn't it <laughs> for the meditation to really take off. And even if we don't use it for the meditation, that experience can be so uplifting, so refreshing, um, so revitalizing, um, that uh, even that is enough in our lives. And if it's so strong, it can be something we remember for a very, very long time and uh, that we uh, will turn towards if we give them the opportunity again so thank you for letting me know your experience of you know experiencing these the tears uh, when you were at the Sri Mahabodhi uh, tree um, and I think this is probably not so uncommon many people probably experience something like this and certainly I had a very positive experience it wasn't tears of joy but there was a lot of happiness in the mind it was really you know i was very happy to be there and uh, and so the meditation was good and also i think being with ajahn brahm too uh, having that in mind that was part of the the whole um experience for myself and i can't remember how there was quite a few of us at, on that uh, pilgrimage so yeah, no, it's a Sri Mahabodhi temple and the Bodhi tree. They are really a beacon that attract you know, Buddhists from all over the world. And as I say, these experiences 
Ooh, who knows, coming from the past. But certainly they are very positive, useful experiences for developing the mind, for, um, as I often say, beautifying the mind with this really beautiful joy and, and uh, happiness, this energy in the mind. So uh, sadhu, sadhu for that. Yes, oh, that's lovely. So thank you for sharing, sharing that. So if there is, Ignacio, are there any other questions or we can? That was the final question, Arjun, thank you. Yeah, all right. And so we can finish off with the chanting, uh, the uh, uh, homage to the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha. So if you know this one. <laughs> 